Hello, my name is Anne-Marie Cannon, and I'm the host of Armchair Historians. What's your favorite history? Each episode begins with this one question. Our guests come from all walks of life. YouTube celebrities, comedians, historians, even neighbors from the small mountain community that I live in. They're people who love history and get really excited about a particular time, place, or person from our distant or not-so-distant past. The jumping-off point is the place where they became curious, then entered the rabbit hole into discovery. Fueled by an unrelenting need to know more, we look at history through the filter of other people's eyes. Armchair Historians is a Belgian Rabbit production. Stay up to date with us through Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Wherever you listen to your podcast, that is where you'll find us. Armchair Historians is an independent, commercial-free podcast. If you'd like to support the show and keep it ad-free, you can buy us a cup of coffee through Ko-fi, or you can become a patron through Patreon. Links to both in the episode notes. In this episode of Armchair Historians, I talk to Living London History blogger Jack Cheshire about my most favorite place in the world, London. Like many history lovers, Jack is interested in the tangible, livable, and breathable history we are surrounded by as we go about our everyday lives. He started his blog so that he could share his journey discovering London's fascinating and vibrant past as he walked its bustling grand streets, diving down its mysterious alleyways and strolling along the banks of the Thames. He believes that the city itself is the greatest and most interesting museum of all. Jack talks about the city, his favorite neighborhoods, and we get in depth on one place in particular, Covent Garden. Jack Cheshire, welcome and thank you for being here today. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So we're just going to get right off into the question and uh, we'll see where the conversation goes. You're going to talk about one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, what's your favorite history that we're going to be talking about today? My favorite history is the history of London. So I actually grew up in Essex, so not far from London. So London was always that place that we went to on sort of day trips, went to the theater. So it's always been kind of a a fun place for me. And I actually only moved to London properly in July of last year, I think, July, August, something like that, but knew the city pretty well before that. I've obviously since moving, been exploring the city. I started my blog, Living London History, back in September and have become fascinated basically with the city, with its sort of urban geography, its its stories, its hidden gems. There's so many little off the beaten track spots that not many people know about. It feels you almost feel like you're the first person that's been there. Obviously, you're not. But <laughs> there's so many of those in London that I really, really love. I mean, I, I, I've always loved history. I've always been interested in it, always read history. I studied history at university. And I've never really focused in on a specific topic necessarily. I, I've always been interested in all kinds of history, really. But since, as I say, since moving to London, since starting the blog, yeah, I've become, I've fallen in love with the city, basically. Well, there's so many morsels to take in and I know from living in London in 2012 just for three months I walked every single day and there was always something new to see I like the fact that you 
get into those little morsels and explain what they are. Some, mm. you know, I, I researched some of the things that I would see, but there is just so much. There's so much history. It goes so far back. Yeah, the exactly. blog that you do, Living London History, that's how I mm -hmm. found you. Actually, I think it was through Instagram because yes. I, I saw your pictures coming up. I was like, ooh, who's this? <laughs> and and then I, I looked at your blog. And so uh, one of the other things you do with your blog that I absolutely love is you do self-guided walking tours with little maps. And then yeah. you explain each uh, place. So tell us about the blog and, you know, basically about your favorite places in London. So, yeah, as I say, I always loved history and I love cities, actually. I love walking around cities. I'm a big fan of walking. Whenever I go and visit a new city, I try and go on a walking tour and, you know, walk around with a local and that kind of thing. And actually, a few years ago, I was reading a book. I was reading a biography of Samuel Pepys, brilliant book by Claire Tomalin. And when I finished the book, I wanted to go and see some of the places in London that he lived at, he worked at, the London that he knew. Obviously. Tell us just a little bit about Pepys. He's a great resource. He is an amazing resource. Yeah. So he basically wrote a diary. The exact years I can't remember. It's roughly 1660 to 1669, something like that. Very detailed. He basically talks about what he did every day for nine years or so. Uh, so, and over that period, so much happens in London's history, which is what makes it an incredible resource, not just for learning about the lives of people in Stuart, uh, London, but also obviously the Great Fire of London in 1666, the restoration of the monarchy. So one of the things I didn't realise was, it's not in the diary, but oh, it might be right at the beginning of the diary, actually. He, he actually travels in the boat with Charles II back from France to restore the throne. He was very much at the centre of the events that were going on, oh. which I had no idea before I read that I book. I thought he was just sort of a, an ordinary man who was writing a diary. But the fact that he was so close to the king... He was so close. He was quite high up in the Navy. He was a very important naval administrator of his time, brought in some really, really important reforms that sort of set the British Navy off on a course to be the most powerful in the world, which not many people know as well. And it's the fact that he was so central that obviously gives us such an important insight into that period and the big events, the Anglo-Dutch War as well that took place in that period. Those are the three sort of big events that he gives us an insight into. But yeah, an incredible resource for anyone studying London or just British history generally, really. So you, you read the book, and who was the book by? Claire Tomlin. Claire Tomlin. I'll put that in yeah. the episode notes. And then you wanted to visit all these places, and so you yeah, did. To, so this, yeah, this was before I lived in London fully, properly, um, and I wanted to go and see all these places. So I was, you know, I found some online and that kind of thing. And I essentially put together myself a little self-guided walking Samuel Pepys guided walking tour of London which I have now actually written properly and put onto the blog a bit sort of fuller and with a bit more information than I did it for myself a few years ago but that's kind of what sparked the idea so I thought that it would be a great idea as you say London is so big there is so much history it can almost be a bit daunting to try and tackle it I thought it'd be a good idea to put together almost like bite-sized themed walks that people can go on, whether that's by area, by time period, or focusing on a specific person or a specific place that people could go on and then sort of 
gradually sort of get to grips with the city depending on their interests so I've tried to do a variety so far so yeah I've done a Samuel Pepys one I've only started back in September so there's loads more I want to do Uh, I've done a Georgian London uh, one a Tudor London Uh, I've done a body snatcher gangs of London I didn't see that one yeah so that one I wanted to do a more sort of sinister (laughs) get into the sinister side of London so so that's been quite a popular one actually um, yeah, that, that's the that's the basic i that's the basic sort of the idea for the blog, and then obviously I write articles on yeah more uh, some more specific places as well, hidden gems, off the beaten tracks, mm-hmm. spots, and things like that. So yeah, that's that's the blog. So is this something that you do for pleasure? Yes, very much so. Um, okay, I love. It's not like a job. It's not a job. No, no, no. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> I know we're um, always trying to figure out how to do that, right? Yeah, exactly. No, it, it, it's something I do in my spare time. I'm lucky enough to... So I live in North London, by work in central, just south of the river in Lambeth, near oh, Lambeth nice. Palace. So I'm lucky enough to have been able to get out into the city, particularly in lockdown. So I've been having to come into work every day, which... Oh, okay. I, really light I don't want to be stuck at home so I've been able to get out in my lunch breaks and still get around the city and still obey you know (laughs) regulations and things like that obviously now that things are starting to lift there are lots of places that I want to I want to get a little bit further out not not just focus so much on central London and things like that so yeah so of these places what is your favorite Oh, that's such a tricky question. There's so many. So far. Think, so far. It's a commitment for today, not for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this isn't it. <laughs> so I, I think the places that I really like are the ones, that, I said you've got a, a lot of character. So I like Bankside, where the, obviously the reconstruct the replica of the globe is, and I love that stretch on there. Not necessarily because of the historical side, because of the I like being there. I like being by the river. It's a fun place to be. There's lots to do. Uh, but also the history of Bankside, I find, is really fascinating. Um, I also love Clerkenwell. So it's an area that I've been exploring a fair amount because I've lived in north. I've actually just moved a little bit further west. I'm northwest now, really. But when I'd walk into the city, Clerkenwell and Hoban and places like that would be the first kind of bit I'd come to. So I've mm-hmm. actually explored that area more than than other areas and the area around smithfield market it's not necessarily an area that's on the tourist trail that much but it's got st bartholomew the great church which is an incredible church i believe it's the oldest parish church in in london set up in the 12th century along with st bart's hospital next door but that whole area, there's lots of little alleyways that you can get into. You sort of feel like you're in old London. It's got the oldest house in London, actually, as oh, well. Oh, it does. There's How a bit of debate it? about <laughs> whenever yeah. you say the oldest or whatever. Sure. But they were built in the 1640s, something like that. It's this big, um, big house. It's got the jutting out uh, windows. And oh, things. yeah. Great. Which they stopped doing after the fire. Right, yeah, like you get a sense of that atmosphere of old London, the yeah. little tight alleys and things like that. Oh, neat. 
You were going to talk also, I think, about Covent Garden. Covent Garden, yeah. So I, I've just talking about the self-guided walks. I've just done a self written a self-guided walk of the hidden history of Covent Garden. So again, the more sort of like the symbols that you can see, the the the, the off the beaten track kind of spots, some little alleyways and things like that. And it's a fascinating area. It was um, obviously we think of it. When you think of Covent Garden, you think of the piazza uh, and the market, but there are all the little roads around it as well and the pubs and taverns and restaurants and things like that that have so much history to them. What's the history? Yeah, so interestingly, the often with a, with a history of Covent Garden, people start at the building of the piazza um, in the 1630s, but actually it, it, the history goes back further than that because it was used as a trading place by the Saxons. Uh, so back in the 6th century, yeah, about 600 AD, it was used as a trading place. So as is the case with lots of places in London, the sort of uses of places and the the yeah, the yeah land use kind of follows through the years. Amazingly, you know, we're trading. It's still a place of trade and the Saxons were trading there. It's just an amazing thing to think when you're walking around the market. So yeah, Saxons were there in the six in around six hundred AD. Westminster Abbey took over the land in roughly the thirteenth century and used it as a kitchen garden. So they used I read it. that. What does that mean, a kitchen garden? So it's basically where they grow vegetables and food and things like that. Um, there's not loads of information about it, but the the idea is that it was used by their convent. So it was mm-hmm. called the convent garden, which is where we get. Covent Garden from mm-hmm. somewhere along the line, the N got lost. <laughs> but it's like yeah. Bedlam. It's like Bedlam. It's yes, exactly. A, yeah, it was Bethlehem. Bedlam. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. go ahead. So yes, but used by Westminster Abbey until mm-hmm. the dissolution of the monasteries uh, in the 1530s under Henry VIII. So it got confiscated from them then, and mm-hmm. given in around roughly 1560, something like that, to the Earl of Bedford. And he built a few buildings on it and that kind of thing. And then in the 1630s, the fourth Earl of Bedford and the architect Inigo Jones built the piazza and the streets we have today. So how could we just back up for a second? Yeah, sorry. Could you? It's a touchstone for a lot of things in history there. And it's the dissolution of the monasteries. Could you just briefly tell us what that is? Yes. So Henry VIII was married to Catherine of Aragon and wanted to uh, divorce her, uh, but couldn't under the eyes of the Pope and the Catholic Church. So appointed himself the head of the English Church and basically confiscated <laughs> a, gr- a huge amount of the church's land, wealth, actually destroyed a lot of abbeys and monasteries, which is the really sort of sad mm. thing about it because obviously so much history was lost right. in that. Sure. Um, but and during the I mean the dissolution of the monasteries is probably the biggest sort of change in land use you have in London because before that so much of the land around the city was owned by the church, by monasteries, by sort of monastic orders. And then when Henry VIII took it, he sort of would give it out to favoured courtiers people that he likes, people that would give him favours in return. So that's how the land kind of passes into the hands of the aristocracy. 
and gets built up over time. That's why so much of London still is owned by, you know, the Dukes and the Earls mm-hmm. and things like that because they've never let it go. Uh, they've never sold it. But yeah, so that, that's the dissolution of the monasteries, really. But yeah, there were so that was of- a big turning point for Covent Garden because then it switched hands to the, did you say the Earl of Bedford or the Duke the- of Bedford? The Earl of Bedford. I think he becomes, I think the Bedfords become a duke maybe later on in time. I'll have to double check that. What's the, the difference? Time, oh, gosh. Now you're asking. The, okay, the duke, I don't feel bad. <laughs> <then>. <laughs> the duke, dukes are higher up, basically. Oh, like okay. The duke, the duke is higher up. Great. Yeah, the I duke is, I think, the highest level of aristocracy bar the royal family, essentially. Okay. Gotcha. Um, Actually, some of the royal family are dukes, aren't they? Because you've got the Duke of Edinburgh and the Duke of Windsor, and so yeah. I, to be honest, <laughs> the, the ins and outs that makes that. me feel better. I've written a, a work of historical fiction that's not yet published. That's right. why I was there in two thousand and twelve. It's hard to keep a lot of that stuff straight, so I feel a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. You know, I even have there's a kid, the character as a child, he's trying to figure it all out. The differences between Irk earls and dukes and all that so yeah um, it's almost yeah it's it's complicated <laughs> it is complicated that's that's it so then it changes hands to the earl of bedford mm-hmm. and how does how do they use it how does he use it so as far as i can tell they basically built a few buildings along the strand but other than that they they didn't use it for much, as far as I can tell. It was only in the 1630s with the fourth Earl of Bedford um, when it they created Covent Garden, the square, the piazza we have today. So it was the first formal square, basically, in London. So there some were, of the buildings that are still there today harken back to that time period? The only building is the church. The only building. Oh, okay. There. So the oldest building on the piazza is russell house so if you're looking at the church from the market it's on your right it's kind of it's kind of painted in orangey like a peachy orange with white stripes uh that was built in 1716 that's the oldest building on the okay oh yeah because it it was lost during the fire yeah uh actually well no the fire didn't reach that far Um, oh it didn't okay no Lots of it was redeveloped in the 1830s, I believe. Lots of the townhouses were rebuilt. So, yes, 1630s. And so it was essentially built as a as a square, the first square that was built for with townhouses for rich people, basically, in the aristocracy, to rent and to sell to his, his, his rich friends. So they moved in. But in the... As the sort of 1640s and 50s went on, the the market got a little bit bigger. So it started off with a couple of stalls that were allowed to set up there. But over time, it did start to grow. The real turning point actually, again, was the Great Fire of London. So that was pretty much the city of London, the, the, the square mile. And it triggered a huge migration of people or uh, you know two-thirds of the buildings in the city were destroyed and burnt down so loads of people's homes were lost and they essentially moved outwards into the suburbs Covent Garden essentially being a bit of a suburb at that point so the the, the migration of people triggered 
a bigger growth in the market and just generally more people being around and the rich people moved west so they moved further west built themselves some nice squares <laughs> further west in mayfair and places like that and it became a bit more of a place where ordinary people lived and interacted and the market um, got bigger from there basically was it like a vegetable market a meat market yeah, vegetable, fruit and vegetables, I believe. I'm not 100% sure on that, but it definitely started off as a fruit and vegetable market. I'm sure it mm-hmm. sort of developed into other areas. The meat markets were in other places. So Smithfield was a huge, was the main meat market. So I imagine it wasn't. Oh, yeah. I loved Covent Garden when I lived there. That was the one thing I would do one day on the weekend. I'd go down there. Mm-hmm. It's just so vibrant, so alive. I don't know how it is now, but because of the pandemic but just so much going on i you'd be sitting in that um building and all of a sudden uh the opera singers would start singing yeah in the um what is the name of that building you said it oh, the royal right. opera house or no oh, just inside where you... sorry yeah, yeah inside in, where in the market building yeah in jubilee yeah 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 and so they'd have performers in there and then there'd be street performers on the street and i would always get the uh, seafood paella they'd make it in this big open dish which i don't think will ever happen again i don't know but um and then i'd go over (laughs) to another food stall and get yeah yeah right i had a friend that lives there who was like pointed that out to me she's like i don't eat that stuff but anyways (laughs) and then i'd go over to the other stall where they had the um the Belgian waffles, you know, so it, it was just all these different scents and flavors and things going on. And um, you f- it's like a you can feel the living history as well mm. because of the architecture, because of, you know, the little tiny alleyways. There's a couple that um, I think you write about in your blog about Covent Garden. And it's just... It is, like, as far as one of my favorite places, I think, at this point mm-hmm. in London to go yeah. to. Got that. Yeah, a vibrant character, hasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rises, which is what we like. Which there are a lot of those places there. So where do we see this history? We'll focus specifically on Covent Garden in pop culture. Hmm, that's a good question. I guess Covent Garden itself, it doesn't pop up. Up loads. The the two main ones that I can think of are well, one that's that's been fairly recent. There's been a BBC series called Harlots, which is essentially about the the brothel oh, yeah. distribution uh, trade in Covent Garden in the 18th century in the Georgian period. And then the other one would be uh, My Fair Lady. So that she starts off as a flower seller. Uh, in Covent Garden, so that she's seen as the a typical, you know, London market <laughs> trading lady. But the, I mean, those are the those are the two main examples I can think of in popular. I haven't, in... I haven't watched Harlots yet. I'll have to. No, no, I haven't. Okay, I love yeah period pieces. So you haven't seen that one either? No, I haven't actually. I, I it's on my list of ones I want to watch. Is there anything else about that history that you want to? that I didn't ask you that you want to share either about London in general and London's history or Covent Garden specifically. The thing that I haven't really mentioned is that, so when the, so the market Covent Garden market moved out, it basically became too big 
and bustly and busy to be in central London. So it got moved to Mile End. I want to say Mile End. In 1974. And when that happened, Mile End's wrong. It's somewhere else. Nine Elms. That's it. Nine uh, Elms. That's right. I just read that too. I just read that. Yeah. I don't know why Mile End was in my head. Yes, it moved to to Nine Elms, and essentially there was a bit of a debate about what should happen with the with the land. So there was a plan that was drawn up to, I believe, tear down the market building, demolish a lot of buildings, a lot of the historic buildings. They were going to widen a road, which was going to essentially rip through the historic centre. Oh. And thank goodness. The, the locals, the Covent Garden locals, fought the case to, to, to keep this heritage. Obviously, partly because they were living there <laughs> and it was their houses that were going to be destroyed. But the, the character of the area and the historic importance of nearly completely lost, which is, makes me shudder th- to think about it, to be honest. But I'm so, really uh, glad that they fought for it because I would yeah. have never had the experiences I've had there. Well, yes, exactly. It wouldn't be the vibrant, interesting area. It would probably be, yeah, a lot more boring. And yeah, we wouldn't have the sort of little hidden places that I have put into this this walk that I've that I've written, and the interesting little nuggets of history that you can find. Right, right. There's a lot of that in uh, London. The town that I live in, actually, I run a tour business. So I do history tours and ghost tours. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a small town in the Rocky Mountains, but it's a National Historic Landmark District. Same thing. In the 60s, they were building a highway that was going to go right through the town. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, there were um, people in town. And one particular man who had a lot of influence in Washington and they were able to get it, this area designated as a National Historic Landmark District. It seems like a constant battle, though, mm. that, you know, the plight, the, the town that I lived in, they just, uh, you know, they're tearing down some of the historic buildings there that I grew up in. And it's heartbreaking. It's, it is. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing that I one of the first things I noticed in London is how good they are at incorporating like like I think of Liverpool Station and how they're mm-hmm. really good at incorporating old buildings into new spaces, and you know we can all learn from that. Yeah, definitely. I do. Yeah, I I would agree with you there that London has done that very well. I think. I think sometimes it's gone too far in terms of the modern and you know things like that, and there have been cases when history has been very sadly lost because of these projects and things like that. But generally, and I think it it's something that people hopefully, fingers crossed, are a lot more aware of now, that it's the places that have history and have heritage and character. These are the places that people want to live in. They're places that people want to spend time in. They're places that people want to go and drink and, you know, go to them and spend time with their friends in. So they're incredibly important places you can't have everywhere with just shiny tower blocks. No one wants to go to those places. And particularly now with the the revolution, well, potential, you know, working from home revolution and things like that. The history of the tower blocks up for, or the skyscraper, sorry, is up for for debate as well. So, you know, things change, but people will always love. 
character in history. They will end up becoming archaic. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah people yeah. Will try to save them and be like, you <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think we've got. I mean, I'm not totally anti skyscraper. I think I feel like some people in London are, but yeah, I mean, the new skyscraper has just been opened i think it's finished now it looks finished 22 bishops gate absolutely massive and i wow. don't really like it very much <laughs> this is one of the ones i don't like because it is a, it's very blocky it's essentially just a huge silver block like I, I quite like the shard some people don't like the shard i really yeah, like, I like the, the shard yeah uh some people like the i'm not a huge fan of the gherkin but yeah this one is very it's got like three steps almost. And I just don't think it, you know, I don't think it's done a very good job of blending in and being attractive. I have to take a look at that. When I was there in 2012, they were getting ready for the Olympics. So um, there was scaffolding everywhere. They mm. were finishing the shard. I feel like the Gherkin is, uh, is London's Eiffel Tower mm. in a way. Yeah, it's, it's so very weird. iconic. Iconic and weird looking, but <laughs> yes. yeah. So what is your favorite time period in all of the the research you've done? What's your favorite time period of London My and why? My favorite time period probably is the Georgian period. So actually my first blog post that I wrote was the top 10 places or my top 10 places to see Georgian London. And it's a period that doesn't get as much publicity we're not taught so much about it at school so people less know less about it but it was an incredibly crucial period in the country and london's history and a vast amount of the historic buildings that we have are from that period so roughly what time period is that gonna test me on the exact date early 18th century 17 i want to say like 1714 okay. up to um, about the 1830s so it's a big t a long time period oh it is yeah um, so it's the four George's basically George the first, second, third, and fourth, and then there was William the fourth, who sometimes gets tagged into that because he's a bit of an in between. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that's why it was called the Georgian period. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, what is it about that period that you like so much? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the uh, the the architecture comes into it. I think so. George, I love generally love Georgian architecture, Georgian townhouses and things like that. I've One of the areas of history that I really liked when I was younger, sort of growing up and getting excited by history was the sort of Napoleonic Wars and growing up and reading the Hornblower novels. I don't know whether you've heard of them. Mm -mm. Uh, essentially like naval, a naval officer during the Napoleonic Wars. So that period always interested me in that sense. And the French Revolution and... That kind of thing. A lot, a lot happened during that a time. A lot happened. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the architecture comes into it. Sort of yeah, my my earlier interests in history, and it sort of has. I don't really know how to explain it, but it's sort of that's when you start getting the real history of ordinary people. So there was big increases in literacy rates. Obviously the the world was being discovered. So these mm -hmm. huge changes were taking place, obviously with the French Revolution and that kind of thing. There was changes taking place on the continent as well. 
people, the, the sort of birth of the middle class. So you start getting the stories of ordinary people, basically, which I think is what I really like. Interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm more interested in the, you know, the people, the ordinary people, as you say, I'm more interested yeah. in their life and, and shining the light on that in my podcast even. Yeah. So that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. So that would, yeah, that would probably be my, my top period, I'd say. And it sort of falls, as I say, it falls between probably if we're th- thinking about how London history appears in popular culture generally, I think the Tudor period obviously pops up a lot it as the backdrop to the Tudor drama. And yeah. the Victorian period appears a lot in terms of Jack the Ripper and uh, Charles Dickens. Sure. So, and then the Georgian period sort of, falls in between and doesn't really have that presence in popular culture, I'd say. So there's kind of more to to discover for yourself when you're looking in. Yeah, which surprises me because isn't that, I mean, that's after the fire and you're talking about mm-hmm. the architecture and the building. It's kind of, you know, rebuilding from the ground up and uh, mm-hmm. creating this new landscape. I think of where the baths are. Bath. Isn't that a big Georgian town? Pretty much. Yeah. So Bath. So I before um, I studied history in Bristol, uh, Bristol University, and so Bristol and Bath are very big Georgian cities in terms of Georgian architecture and things like that. So Bristol, I think, in the Georgian period was the second biggest city in the UK because it was a port on the west side, so it would get all the trade in from the Americas and things like that. So there's some beautiful Georgian terraces in. Bristol, which maybe is part of the reason why I also like the Georgian period, because that that's when I was studying history. I lived there for another four years, so I only moved out of Bristol at the end of 2019. And I was always interested in the history of... I'm always interested in the history of the places I, I am too. <laughs> I, any history, like, tell me, yeah. you know, there's there are actually, in the United States, there are museums dedicated to the fencing that they use in farms and ranches barbed wire fence oh, really? there's actually history like there are museums dedicated to that and it's fascinating yeah. you get lawnmower museums and all sorts of things in <laughs> <laughs> yeah anything like that i'm all about and i guess that's the thing about bath because that was the last time i was in england we went uh, about three years ago we were supposed to go last may but of course covid so we didn't mm-hmm. But we're always looking, we're always planning our next trip. But last time I went to Bath, and I guess the thing that I'm thinking about as you're talking about it are all those Georgian pockets in in London. But what was cool, and I'm just seeing this now as we're talking, is in Bath, that is really like, that's pretty much from the ground up. It's Jordan and Georgian, and you get a, a real sense of the aesthetic of that when you go there. I've not been to Bristol. I would love to go to Bristol. That's further west, right? Yes. Yeah. So Bristol's about 15 minutes west on the train from Bath. So Bath and people coming to the UK, tourists, particularly American tourists, actually, this is what we, so I worked in hotels. So it was all about sort of what the tourists are doing. And uh, Bath and London were the two places that people wanted to go. Well, certainly London and Bath as a bit of an extra potentially. But Bristol was never really on people's 
on people's list. People hadn't really heard of it as a place that you should necessarily go to as a tourist. But there's so much there. It's an amazing city. Really, really interesting. Loads of history. They've got a whole like food city thing going on at the moment. So they're they're a real sort of food hub, loads of food festivals. It's a very sort of festivaly city is how I describe it. That's on, that's on my radar now. Maybe our next yeah. trip. We want we want to go to Scotland too, but I yeah, don't know. We'll I, see. There's I, so many places yeah. to go to. You have to. to go to Edinburgh if you haven't been. Edinburgh is Yeah. I haven't yeah, been. I love Edinburgh. I've been probably five or six times because I've been there for the Fringe Festival. The Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is essentially What's that? Like a, it's like a theatre and dance and performing arts festival. Oh, okay. It's yeah, incredible. <laughs> I love it. I was so sad to not be able to go last year, but yeah. hopefully it'll be on again this year. But who knows? Yeah, hopefully. Is there anything else that you want to tell me about the history first? No, I don't think so. Nothing specific. And where do we find you? So my website is livinglondonhistory.com. So you can sign up for email. I've got a weekly newsletter, which you can sign up for on there. You can also find me on Instagram, Living London History, Facebook, Living London History, Twitter. And I'm also on TikTok now. So that's exciting. Oh, you have you figured that out? I'm going to follow uh, you. Yeah, I, I feel like I've, I've figured it out now. It's quite an easy platform to use, actually. I've, I was surprised. I was quite wary of it. And then once I started using it, I was like, oh, actually, this is quite easy to use. <laughs> I tried it like once or twice I'm on there. But, you know, there's so many platforms and so many. Yeah, there's so many. There's only so many places you can put your energy. Have you heard of Where Clubhouse? That's another new one. No, I haven't. What's that? I don't really know. <laughs> I just know that I've been invited <laughs> by my guest that the episode's going to drop tomorrow. And it's like this new thing. So I've been trying to like mm-hmm. at least explore these new social media platforms because you never know when the one I'm yeah. using is going to become obsolete. And yeah, it's true. it you can actually do I guess you can do like live episodes like as a podcaster from there but you you, they're like chat rooms and i don't know i'll send you a link if you're ever interested in trying to figure it out i'll send you an invite because i have two to send and you can look at it maybe you can make sense of it so (laughs) anyways that's another sidebar i really enjoyed talking to you today jack about my favorite place in the whole world it's always (laughs) a pleasure to visit and since i've been since we've been, you know, in this pandemic, I've really enjoyed virtually going back through your mm. blogs and your uh, your self-guided walking tour. So thank you so much for being here today. No problem. Thank you. There you have it. Jack Cheshire, Living London History. Be sure to check out our episode notes to find out more about Jack, his blog, and some of the sites that we talked about today. Also, I strongly recommend that you check out his TikTok feed. A link will be provided in the episode notes. It's brilliant. Thank you for listening in today. Have a great week.